GameStack Podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 22, and as always, I am your host, Mitch Brown. But today, I am joined once again by the very lovely Caitlin. Hey, meeples! (laughs) Oh, God. Uh... (laughs) Happy 2021! (laughs) All right, and today's podcast is going to be all about teaching games and rules explanations. But first, regularly we would cover the guests' top five games, but we have heard from Caitlin about her top five before. Has there been any changes to your top five? Yes. Whoa. I'd like to say no, because I feel like your favorite games shouldn't change a lot, but I feel like over the past year we've played a bunch of games. I was going to say, I'm sure you've played more board games in the last couple of years than the rest of your life. True. True. So there has been a shift. 2021, new year, new list of favorite board games. <laughs> so in no particular order, uh, top five board games are Betrayal of the House on the Hill. That one hasn't changed. Kulami has now made the list. Whoa. I love that little marble game. Champions of Midgard is no longer an honorable mention, but has made the list as well. Uh, War Chest is now on there. And Trivial Pursuit, Genesis Second Edition, the 1976 edition. Whoa. <laughs> honorable mention to Cranium, because we all know I love Cranium. Said <laughs> Cranium's off the list. War Chest, Champions, and Kulami are all new. Yeah, and Fox in the Forest, I guess, because that was on my list. Yeah. Fox in the Forest, again, honorable mention. War Chest beats out Fox in the Forest. Whoa. Yeah. I think we've played it so much, War Chest, that now I'm just like, I'm getting into it. So it's made it there. Yeah, you sure are. I don't think I've won against you in the last mm-mm, five, six games. Yeah. So top five, in no particular order. Wow. All right. Interesting. All right. And what else we're going to be covering? First, we'll do what we've been playing recently, and then we'll move on to today's topic. But what we've been playing recently. We have been playing more Kulami. Mm-hmm. It's still great, still marbly, still looks very classy. Yeah, still working the same. I think now we play with more advanced boards. I think now we try to make boards that aren't the regular rectangles. I think the last one you made was like a robot looking one. <laughs> yeah, I, de- I definitely just make shapes. So Yeah, I made like a dinosaur looking one. So I think we're now expanding our Kulami <laughs> designs. Nice. Uh, we've also been playing a bit of Fox in the Forest. Yes. One game I've actually beat you at recently. I'll say, you finally have learned the the secret of winning Fox in the Forest. <laughs> All right, finally. <laughs> I feel like I've. it's been pretty even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've also touched back on Dominion, mm. uh, one of my very favorites. And, oh, it's like. I'd say it's like riding a bicycle, but it's like coming back to an old bicycle that you loved when you used to and being afraid that you don't now and you still love it just as much. You didn't have one of those bicycles? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a scooter. (laughs) I love my scooter still. Um, Dominion, I like it. I don't think I love it as much as when I started playing it. I think we need a new expansion with it. (laughs) I think that's 
of what I'm going to say about Dominion. Well, if only it had about like 13 <laughs> expansions or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll try the alchemy one or something. That's it. I disagree. I really like the base game. I still think it's wonderful. And it's just such a, I think maybe because we've played it so much, but also just the core gameplay loop is just so comfortable and enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, we've played it so much that now we play speed rounds of it. So there's no more like you get the first two minutes when the game starts to look at the cards. Then after that, you have like eight seconds to complete your turn and then it just keeps going. Yeah, not strict time, but yeah, definitely turns out that way. Yeah, but still good. Still, still a good game. Mm, excellent. game. But something else we've been playing recently is Arboretum. Designed by Dan Kassar and published by Renegade Games Studios. So, what Arboretum is, is a deceptively bitey little game about gathering trees. An Arboretum is a garden for trees. Good lord, I wish I had a garden that big. But, uh, what you're doing is trying to gather sets of trees and laying them orthogonally beside each other through kind of a hand management type thing. But everybody has discard piles that can be drawn from from everyone, so you kind of have to manage what you're going to keep in your hand, what you're going to put in your discard pile, and trying to get all the trees that you need while also blocking all the trees that your opponents want, basically. Mm -hmm. It works in an interesting system where, like Mitch said, you'll lay out the certain species of trees that you want points in. Uh, they range from one to eight, and... If you lay down the one, you get some extra points. If you lay down the eight, eventually you'll get some extra points. But the cool dynamic is to score for your tree set that you lay down, you actually have to hold a certain amount of cards in your hand. You need the highest value out of everybody else in your hand of that tree species to actually lay down or to score points for that tree. So you could be building this whole line of beautiful cherry blossoms, but Mitch could have the seven in his hand and beat you out with the five in yours. And so you actually don't get to score for your cherry blossoms. So I thought that's where the bitiness of this tree garden game comes in and actually makes it, yeah, a really dynamic game. Mm -hmm. I really like the decision-making space there because you not only want to, you know, stop others from getting stuff, but you also have to balance whether you think you're going to beat people to have as much in your hand as well as getting points because the longer basically of a trail that you can make of these trees how many cards in a row you get more points for it but if you use all your cards for this trail someone might just keep one good card and beat you out for how many they have in their hand which you know makes this whole trail for nothing at the end which is a surprising knife twist in a game about pleasant trees. It's really interesting, and it's a lot of fun to play. I think with higher player counts, it shines a little bit more, as opposed to a two-player game. Two-player, it's, yeah, once well, again, a pleasant tree game, but it almost turns into just punching each other in the face <laughs> over trees and, you know, making sure that you're just stabbing each other. It's a knife fight of a game. Yes, with sticks. <laughs> from the tree garden. Yeah. They're sharp broccolis. They're yeah. little trees. I think, too, we played it with three people our last play, and the person we played it with was so confused at the beginning. She was like, I don't really know what's happening. And she ended up coming out on top. Like, she murdered us at the tree garden. Well, murdered me. I don't know how I didn't get it practically any points. But, like, nailed it. So I think it can be an easy teach, and it can bring in beginners as well. So, really cool. On a side note, the cards are shiny as 
shiny. <laughs> Bleep. They are shiny. Um, but I think you also have the deluxe edition yeah, I that I got you. But I didn't realize when you were like, hey, these cards are super shiny. And then we started playing it under a bright light. And I was like, they going to blind you. <laughs> but they're beautiful. They're pretty. Mm, the art is really well done. But yes, I have the most recent deluxe version that has a wood box. And they foiled all the cards, which makes them look very fancy. But makes the playability a little annoying when they're blinding you. Yeah. But shout out to the design. The wooden box is beautiful. You have like a velvet lining on the inside. It's so fancy. <laughs> and like a nice a nice felt bag for the cards. So, yes, highly recommend it. You don't need the deluxe version. I'm just really going for that shininess, but it's a good game. I think we need to play a few more rounds till I figure out my true feelings for it. <laughs> I think it's an easy enough recommend for a little card game. And that is Arboretum. What else we've been playing recently? is a very interesting twist on a war game where you're not actually warriors or commanders, you're spies. And this is A War of Whispers, designed by Jeremy Stoltzfus and published by Starling Games. So this game, I kickstarted it and I recently got the game in the mail. What it is, is, I mean, it's not Game of Thrones per se, but it's very similar to Game of Thrones as there are five armies who are competing for control of a continent. They are at war. And a really fun twist is that even happened to my players as they sat down. Immediately everyone goes to like grab their army's piece. There's a bunch of different colors, so they just assume that that's what you're playing. But the big twist here is that you actually don't control any of these armies directly. You are not one of these armies. You are one of the shady information brokers who's guiding and cajoling and persuading these armies around. And how the game works is you'll have four turns during which to try to make your army come out on top. You're given these little hidden tokens that are shuffled at the beginning, and those dictate who you want to come out on top, who you want to end up second, third, fourth, you don't get any points, you literally don't care about them, and fifth is the faction that you actually want to get wiped off the map. So, throughout the four turns, you have the opportunity to place your tokens on little action spaces, some of which being better, some of which not, as you compete with the other players for which spaces and control of these armies. But these spots correspond to certain armies, so if you are really rooting for the blue team, yeah, you'll probably want to go there, but maybe you want the red team to die as well. So, do you control that one? Do you leave it and hope that they just don't come out on top? And that's pretty much the game. It's pretty short. You only have four turns and a couple actions per turn. But you're spies. <laughs> yeah, to try to just betray or guide or help the ones you're looking for. Another little twist that you have is that at the end of every turn, you can actually change your allegiance. You can betray the shit out of the blue team if they are, you know, you were really rooting for them at first, but they're just getting beaten up by everybody else. You can actually jump ship and swap that blue token with another one. But you have to swap it with another one in your order, the one, two, three, four, five. And once you've swapped, you can't change that. So maybe red is really doing well and you wanted them to die. But blue, who you were rooting for, is dying. So you can actually swap your first and fifth places. But you never know. This game is incredibly swingy. Maybe Caitlyn actually wants green to come out on top and is going to start shanking red in a moment. And you've just put red as the one that you need to win now. As well as, when you swap them, you have to flip these tokens over, so you're also broadcasting who you're now rooting for, because before, no one else can tell what anyone else at the table is going for. So it 
turns into this, I mean, incredibly dynamic change by turn. Uh, I mean, I'm really coming to the knife fights this time, but <laughs> turns into this giant knife fight over controlling these armies and who will come out on top. Yeah. Not a knife fight with sticks, but legit swords. <laughs> <laughs> Actual knives this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting game. Interesting gameplay. Interesting that you're not actually the armies, but the spies who have the influence over the armies. And this game is super important that you read the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, our very first play with our group, I had read the rules significantly wrong to the point where it was a very different game so our first play of it was flawed and that is entirely my fault yeah but that leads into your topic of rule reading rule describing <laughs> learning rules rules in general yes but yeah war of whispers is really interesting it is incredibly dynamic there's only four turns but everyone takes actions and things can change dramatically on an action maybe Caitlin was building up the blue army, but then another player just directs them to basically go jump off a cliff or throw themselves against an unbeatable match just to get rid of them. Every single turn can change the game dramatically, as well as the game is basically impossible to calculate. You can't plan super far ahead when things can change so quickly, as well as with the other players. Yeah, you don't know where their true allegiances lie. You're not sure... If Caitlyn's going for the action, action spaces that control the blue army, you don't know if that's to lead them to victory or if to stab them in the back. And as the game goes on, factions will rise and fall, and then allegiances will get revealed as they change, which lets you kind of know what's going on. But definitely the first couple turns, it anything could happen, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think as a player playing it, having your five army token secret definitely allows you to figure out kind of where you want to be and like mitch said you can be like if red is your top army gives you the most points you can use one of your tokens to play in a red army space and build the army or fight for more territory but let's say green is in your lowest space you can also play green and maybe purposely have green fight another army and lose or build up green to throw people off that Maybe green is your top army. So it's an interesting balance between doing tasks for the one you want to win and the ones that you kind of want to lose or doesn't matter to you. So figuring out how to be deceptive and to have actions that throw people off your trail, just like you would if you were a spy and you were infiltrating different systems. Mm -hmm. It is wonderfully thematic. And it is very interesting with this one to five system, you often end up with a lot of people, especially after a couple of turns when people have the chance to change allegiance, is you'll have a lot of people really rooting for the team in first. They'll have a bunch. Basically, most people will be like, well, blue's going to win. So might as and kind of bandwagoning on that. But hugely, it comes down to, you know, the second, third and fourth, what the full arrangement of your tokens is, because that is kind of what decides the game. If everyone's rooting for blue, Whatever team comes second becomes then the most important, and third, and fourth, and then last, which is a really interesting touch to it. And Especially if you work in a strategic manner. If you play games to optimize your win ratio, this is actually a really good game to base second and third place in your army selection. 
Um, in our second play, where we played the rules, the actual <laughs> rules of the game, we ended up mostly randomizing to a point where we all had very similar alliances to the certain armies. So through our one to fives, most players had a certain army, which I'm pretty sure was yellow, that was last. And that's the army like we all pooped on. And you could tell that that <laughs> army was just there to murder off other people. But it did come down to a couple armies being first and second, but being swapped. So if you had, let's say, red and green again, for Mitch, red is number one, green is number two. For me, green is number one and red is number two. It really, really, really matters which one comes in first. Because the first point will give you four points per city you have, where second only gives you three. So you have that, like point balance and figuring out well how many do i have in second place how many do i have in third place just in case we do have similar alliances that i can still come out on top with second and third helping me raise the first one Mm -hmm. so it's strategy without having like a clear strategy at the beginning Mm -hmm. and as well as sometimes then it becomes better to hurt an opponent's plans than to actually help yours If we both have the red army as our top one, and Caitlin thinks I have the green army as my second, then maybe it's in her best interest to try to sabotage the green army, but also not so much that they are, you know, completely wrecked. So yeah, it's very interesting, very dynamic, a incredibly, yeah, just fascinating design. It's very different from what you've probably played before for war games. I think everybody kind of sits down and sees little armies on a map and is like, oh, okay, I know this. But this is definitely a very interesting twist. But I don't know if it's the most fun twist. It is a very unique design, but it definitely has some flaws that definitely hinder its play experience. First off, it does have some very fiddly rules questions will come up. When things are so tight, when you need second and third, like, decide the fate of the game, when you can do actions, when you can play cards... Specific timing comes up, and also the card, like the actual writing on the cards, can occasionally be pretty vague. It doesn't say once per activation, doesn't say once per turn, just things left off in what could be the kind of card legalese to really nail down that this is specifically what this rule does is occasionally left off and could be a little clearer, at least from our experience. Mm-hmm. Is this game, like, has it just been released or is this, is it pretty new? Uh, so I backed the second Kickstarter for it. I think it's been out a couple years. Okay. It's not terribly new. They have, they did do some uh, changes to the board for the second version, part of which was the first printing had the kind of cities and huts and towers that are on the map across it. But this one, they actually highlighted them so, and did an outline of white to really make them pop and be a little more visible, which... Little quality of life changes like that are wonderful, but yeah, occasionally came up with rules kind of butting into what people could do. Yeah, they just need to work out a few kinks. But then again, maybe we just need to read the rules a lot more. I feel like when we played the first time and the second time, we were doing a lot of like googling for clarification on rules. Some cards don't say like before activation or after this. Yeah. Like that should be clarified in there. I'm not sure I'm sold on the game. I, <laughs> I need to play it a couple more times. I don't know. It's sitting next to Ice Team for me, and 
Ice Team is not very high on any of my lists. <laughs> For reference, uh, Ice Team is on my two cell shelf, um, which I don't think I agree with. The state game is very interesting, and it, uh, I think, of course, with repeat plays, we'll get more of it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest problems, though, is it's very interesting, and you'll have people sit down and be like, oh, I know this game, and then it's different from that, but that can also create negative expectations if you're expecting a war game to sit down and fight each other this is very much not that this is almost like closer to a diplomacy or a subterfuge almost like a werewolf type deal you're not quite that lying to each other or that social interaction but you are obscuring your goals and trying to play this game so it's very a unique experience and i think one if you're interested you should try out but just as a happy fun time i'm not sure where it stands for me uh, I think we should just do a disclaimer. We've played with the base set. Like, we haven't played with any of the extra cards or bonus yeah. things that have come in. So maybe our views will change once we play with those. And for this game, I will say that there is something enticing about not playing the army specifically, but being a influence a secret society a cult that influences all of these armies for me i still love that idea i think that's really cool i think when you tell people hey you're not actually playing these chips that are on the board well technically you're actually this force the spy behind it is really cool and i think it gets people excited for the game what we need to do is do a little bit more research play the extra and maybe get that excitement back for this game mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are the expansion packs which add more cards and more variety of cards into these decks that you can get cards from. First off, that variety of cards would probably help it. Most of the effects in most of the decks are pretty similar, Mm -hmm. as well as it'll be interesting to see because these, yes, were made after. It'll be interesting to see if they are basically the designer's way of improving the design or maybe like patching it a little. Our next few plays, we'll have to include those and we'll get back to Mm -hmm. you. All right, and yes, as Caitlin mentioned earlier, I definitely taught the rules for this one wrong at first. Straight up wrong. I can't really defend my rules teach on this one when we... It was a movement rule regarding, like, empty spaces, and in the game you can't move your units through your own empty spaces, but I took that to mean any empty spaces. So, in our first game, the basically the kingdom that fielded almost no armies on next to anybody won because they were impenetrable because we didn't think you could move through empty spaces which is wrong and don't remember that because yeah that definitely breaks the game a little but that does take us to our topic for this podcast which is teaching games and rules explanations so it's pretty self-explanatory but if you haven't played a game before with people you will have to teach them the rules which is often very difficult or at least difficult to make clear and fun it tends to be the low point of most board game nights is you know eating the vegetables of the night is learning the game and teaching everybody but it is very essential and knowing how to do so well or at least better than i did last time (laughs) you're good don't worry is uh is pretty essential to this so i guess i can just cover how i would teach a game I mean, first off, you need to have read the rulebook at least a couple times. In the case of A War of Whispers, I probably could have read it more, and maybe I would have caught that error before the first teach. But how I approach it is, 
I'll try to give a brief kind of overview of what you're doing, the theme, and why you're playing the game, and then, which I didn't do at first, then you need to cover how to win. And generally for the groups that we play with most often, you need to specifically, like, the rules, how to win, how to get points, the end objective. And if you lead with that, it makes it a lot clearer, usually. And then, of course, just diving through the various mechanics and trying to do so in a the most logical way to help people learn. Which, generally, I find that becomes clear once you know all the rules. I mean, a huge asterisk on this is everyone learns differently. I mean, you can teach the way that makes the most sense to you, but that often isn't perfect for everybody, so you really have to try to make a make everything clear and try to follow the least complicated way through the rules. But it's pretty tough. I don't think there's a catch-all solution to this. It's really experience and practice. I feel like from a player standpoint, learning the rules can be difficult sometimes. For me, I love knowing how to win first. If I know how to win, then I can understand why all the other rules are in play or in place. It just kind of clicks for me that way. Whereas when Mitch was first starting to teach games, he would tell you what the game was, kind of like a little backstory, and then like have all the rules in sequential order that would build up to then this is how you win. And I remember learning a few games like that with him and being so frustrated (laughs) before he even touched the game because I didn't, it just wasn't clicking. I didn't understand how different pieces would mesh together until we figured out the method of list why am I here? Like, how am I going to win? And then for me, games started to click a lot easier. So yeah, it's just understanding maybe as a person who is being the rule giver, kind of understanding your audience and how they will learn the most efficient and effective way to play this game. Because I think the last thing you want to do is frustrate or bum people out at the beginning of game night when you want to like play this new game. When everyone has like the same confused look, being like, I don't understand, what do I do? And to explain the rules and be that person to explain it, like, you get frustrated too because you're like, I'm explaining it the best I can. So really know your game group, know your game audience, and be patient on both ends, whether a player or rule giver, you guys are both hopping into something together. So try to be a team and be patient with each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that change to the structure is definitely something I've done in response to playing a lot of games with Caitlin and playing games with our group. It's something I had to adapt mm-hmm. because my, yeah, how it makes the most sense to me is, you know, one, two, three, four, five. But with Caitlin, if I give her five first, one makes sense. So just adapting to that style has been really interesting, but of course, very helpful and effective. I do think I have gotten better at teaching games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A hundred times better. (laughs) Practice. (laughs) Practice makes perfect. Of course. Of course. And that's a huge part of teaching games. But something else I want to bring up in response to you there is, yes, I mean, it is tough. You are kind of leading how the night will go. If you have a really bad or really frustrating teach, it can definitely sour people on a game as well as just make it not an enjoyable experience. If they don't know what they're doing, they're not going to have a lot of fun playing the game. So, yeah, of course, just trying to really make it clear, really pay attention to your players and make sure that they are getting it and not just saying they're getting it. 
Usually I play with adults and it seems like since childhood nobody wants to admit that they're not getting a thing. So really paying attention to people who are nodding but still looking like they're not quite getting it and making sure that you really, really nail it down to people. As well as, since you're setting the tone for the night, if you show enthusiasm for the game while you're teaching it and saying, oh, this part's really fun, like trying to elevate your mood and excitement for the game and really coming at it with a lot of enthusiasm can get people excited to play it a lot more than if you come at it, I mean, just in a way that makes it not sound fun. If you make the teach work, they're not going to be excited to play this game because it'll just sound like work. Mm-hmm. I think, too, a big thing for teaching games, like Mitchell said, is knowing the rules. I know you get this all the time, but we are always asking you a question to clarify something immediately at the beginning. <laughs> like, my my family and I, we are competitive, effective, strategic players. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the nice way to say that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but they are very competitive. So when I play with this group and with Caitlin... It's not just like know the rules and the last 10% be fuzzy on. You need to know 100% of the rules because they will get into the very crevices of mm-hmm. the machine to try to optimize their points because of they're just competitive and it's how they like to play. Well, I think there's nothing worse than being a player, learning the rules for the first time, playing the game, and then halfway through being told, hey, you can't do that. And then you've based your whole strategy on this thing that doesn't follow the rules or... You misinterpreted a rule. I'm not jaded or anything because I do this every game. <laughs> I always misinterpret one rule or I forget a rule. And I mean, that is definitely on me. But there is nothing worse than learning a new game, having a great time, and then halfway, three quarters through, being told you can't do this. This is against the rules. I think a big one that I did notice was in your, what, Uwe Rosenberg month, mm-hmm. if I got his name right. Cool games, heavy games. But I think we were playing. What's the one with all the little, the cows and the... Uh, Agricola. No, 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 not Agricola. Feast for Odin. Yeah, I think that one. <laughs> There's a board where like green tiles can't touch oh, yes. blue tile or green tiles can't touch each other or something like that. And I'd missed that rule. So I was like building this beautiful filling up spaces with these tiles. And then three quarters of the way, Mitch looks over and was like, you can't do that. <laughs> And, like, there's a penalty for, like, doing it wrong, which I'm very thankful that that penalty was lifted so I could rearrange. But it was me not fully understanding the rules and being kind of bummed after that experience for that because I just didn't fully understand it and having to rejig my strategy. So, hence where the patience comes in, hence where the, as a player, really pay attention. If you don't understand, don't say you do. Don't be like, "Mm mm-hmm, I get it, because it's going to, like, bite you in the butt later on in the game. And, yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Like, everyone's here to have fun. Everyone's here to learn a new game. So, yeah, be ready to play and figure out together. Learn together with your rule giver. (laughs) I feel like it's like the DM situation. (laughs) Don't know if there's any D&D players out there. (laughs) I should hope so. Yeah, so that is... yeah. Absolutely correct, because that's kind of the catch, is that board games are, there are cooperative ones, but the vast majority are competitive. So inherently, you're not really sharing what you're doing. So if you have learned something wrong, you can invest, you know, 45 minutes to an hour on a thing that just won't work because it can't, but you don't know that. 
So really trying to make sure everything is clear is super important. Yes, of course, have patience. Teaching games is hard. Mm -hmm. Trying to get people, trying to get your understanding of a game into someone else is tough. But yeah, so it just takes patience from both people, whether a teacher or player. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, some games are easier to teach than others. Learning Agricola and, yeah, I think that was the artist, Feast <laughs> Road, and I, there's just, it was like an hour, 45 minutes of, like, learning this game to something that was a really easy game that we've learned. Kulami was, like, oh, yeah. 10 minutes. Yes. So, of course, understanding the type of game and how easy or hard it is should, of course, dictate how much effort you're putting into the teach. Uwe Rosenberg makes some pretty dense, long, and occasionally complicated games, mm -hmm. so trying to teach them and the many little fiddly bits that go into it is a more challenging prospect. But plus to him and his rule book is, I think later on in his games, he has like the little hints. Mm, of... Yeah, the little sidebars on, hey, if you're teaching this, yeah. make sure you tell them this or try smart. this. Smart. Oof. Real smart, good. Smart, smart. And yeah, so Caitlin was along for the ride playing Uwe Rosenberg Month and oh, yeah. those three games. An interesting thing was, yes, Agricola was the very first and probably the toughest teach on them. But did you, as a player, was it easier to learn, I mean, sort of similar games of A Feast for Odin, Nusfjord, and Agricola? Mm-hmm. Once you go through a 45-minute teach <laughs> as a player, but they get easier because you've already understood the complicated things the complicated ones so yeah the games kind of help build on each other which makes me like interested when you decide to play twilight imperium and all these other games that are supposed to take eight hours <sighs> I'm or so excited six hours um because i think when you learn games other games just build off of that teaching ability if i can learn agricola you can learn Agricola, <laughs> we can all <laughs> learn it, and we can all play together. Yeah, it did make it really easy. I do think some games do have easier teaches, and even though they are kind of complicated, I think in the Hall of the Mountain King, that one was a complicated teach, mm. but started to make sense. Regarding what you just said, that's why paying attention to your players is so important. Because, yeah, board games do become easier as you've played more of them to pick up. Now that we've played all these like various games, it becomes easier to learn new things. You know, hand management, worker placement, the tile laying, all of those are kind of foundational into like Uwe Rosenberg's games, for example. And once you've learned that, you it becomes easier to learn more complicated ones. Mm -hmm. So hence, when you have people who don't really know board games, as much as it's ubiquitous, but that's why party games and simpler games are kind of so well recommended, is if you can learn... Baron Park. It's a great game, but yeah, the teach on it is very simple. There's not that much. You just kind of lay tiles. But as you learn Baron Park, it then becomes easier to learn the tile laying in A Feast for Odin. Yeah. Or yeah, Lost Cities and your pseudo hand management, pseudo like worker placement of the different tracks on that can really help you learn other games as you go. But yeah, there's some that just, it really speaks to the design of some games how easy they are to pick up. Yeah. Uh, for example, Feast for Odin, yes, it was a very long, complicated teach, and a, I think everyone we played with was kind of intimidated by it, but like two rounds in, it really clicked for people and worked well, as well as, yeah, Lost Cities, 
was just super quick. Baron Park was super quick. Kulami was super quick. It's really interesting to see when all the mechanics of these games kind of click for people and fit together in people's minds. Mm -hmm. I think that really speaks to the design of a game. Yeah, I think one that still confuses people, but people love when you play in our groups is cartographers. Mm -hmm. Um, In a sense, that that game seems simple, but it has like the change-up mechanics of like, okay, A and B are scoring now. A and C are scoring and B and D and there's like all these ones that like confuse people while they play but the pseudo tiling I guess with the pieces and filling in that's what people understand and then once you play it two or three times people start to get the scoring method but I feel like even the first and the second time that we've played cartographers with people People are like, oh my god, I love this game, let's play. But then they get in the middle of the game, like, what's scoring now? <laughs> I don't know why they're old all of a sudden. <laughs> it ages them. <laughs> yeah. Cartographers does something to a person. Yeah, they're just like, what's... They're still confused about the scoring, but still love the game. So I think, yeah, knowing the rules as the overall game explainer is important. Because your players are still going to have questions even when they play the games six times seven times so just yeah understand that rules are there to like have fun make the game work and not break and explaining them properly allows for a fun game but also understanding that sometimes house rules are also there to make the game maybe a bit more enjoyable for your group Mm -hmm. so and even Yes, Cartographers has the lovely scoring mechanic where you do A, B, B, C, C, D, and then A, D for the four different rounds. And yes, that is kind of confusing if you're, you know, this is one of the first few games you're playing or even the first time you play. But that brings up a great topic is what you can do for the first play if your group is up for it or unbeknownst to them if you think they're going to have trouble with it is that you can kind of homebrew a game or do a practice game. So cartographers, a great one is, yeah, if people are having difficulty with that, say pick like two A and B and be like, hey, these are going to score every round and do kind of a practice sort of game like that. I don't know if that would work perfectly in cartographers. You'd probably just have to leave all the scoring for every round. I think you actually did a kind of like a house brew for cartographers that I really enjoyed was that I think in the original rules, A, B, C, and D are always visible. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, Yeah, so you left them all visible, but in our first play to kind of slow down confusion, to like ease the confusion of scoring, um, you only showed the two cards that were scoring. That way people weren't overwhelmed with everything. I mean, you couldn't plan super well in advance, but it allowed the people in our group to focus on exactly what is going to score that round. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a great way for you to describe the rules and to kind of get them, ease them into the gameplay. So very smart on that part. And I think any little way that can help your players grasp onto the concepts to make better second plays, third plays can only be beneficial for you and for your team. So yeah, uh, thank you. That Yeah, that was just something I tried that worked out really well with the first play of cartographers for that group. You can, yeah, just kind of... up append or leave out some rules if you think it's going to be too much for people on the first one. But as we talk about how important it is, how it can set the tone, and how much it matters having a a really good rules teach, I think it's important for those of us who, or those of you who are going to be teaching games to know that you're going to fail. 
It's fine. <laughs> it's just going to happen. I have taught many, many games, and I still teach them wrong, even to last week. I, for me, I, like, I've had a couple straight-up disasters. Yeah, the War of Whispers, the first game where it was pretty broken, was pretty bad, and that'll happen. In the past, I also taught Clank terribly <laughs> wrong. Uh, Clank, where you're exploring and you're trying not to get killed by the or by the dragon in the dungeon, yeah. but as soon as what how the players how the game is supposed to work is as soon as someone dies, it kind of triggers the end game, and then you have a couple turns to wrap up. I didn't read that correctly, so I actually had we played our one of our first games, and it was just people dropped off, and you kept playing. And then more people died, and you kept playing until there was just one player who was like, okay, well, I'm going to get everything in the dungeon. And, oh, yeah. Uh, he used that system, and props to you, because you used that loophole <laughs> to the fullest of your ability. I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> you're just scoring points. But yes, that was my fault, and yeah. it kind of... A brilliant, a brilliant breaking of the rules. <laughs> it, well, it broke the game. It did and break of, the game. So, of course, like... You're going to have experiences where you just teach it wrong, or you read it wrong, or you interpret it in the wrong way, or you tell people a rule and they interpret it in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. And just know that, of course, it happens to everybody. The biggest part of it is just learning from it and trying to fix stuff in the future. Mm -hmm. And and don't be discouraged. I want to say that, like, and the biggest, everyone who plays a game with you, I'm going to say, like, thank you for from... All the players in the world, thank you for teaching us games. Because teaching isn't easy. So if you get it wrong, we play a janky game at the beginning, that is okay. But don't get discouraged. We do appreciate all the work you do to teach games. And I'm just going to say it for everybody. Thank you. <laughs> wow. That's very nice of you. But yeah, Clank was broken. <laughs> War of Whispers was broken. Yeah. yeah like, really it's broken. But yeah, it happens. It happens. And it's fine. <laughs> you just learn from it and you realize why the game wasn't like that, you know, and why it is the way it is. It's true. It definitely, playing a game broken certainly teaches you a lot about the, how the game is supposed to be played <laughs> and why it is that way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you'll definitely learn from it. But that is teaching people games. Just some advice, some thoughts of ours. Mm -hmm. And oh, I was gonna say, and also understand that even with all your practice teaching games, you may teach a game wrong all the time or missteps. I know that Mitchell's Kryptonite. Every time he teaches it, is Skull for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is in that game, but he always like misses it's too simple it's it's yeah. hard to convey because you, it's so simple you miss the point that you can't hit a skull and every time we play that game that point is like missed and then we always have people be like so how many skulls can i collect I'm like again sorry for the voices nobody's like that, <laughs> sounds like that. no that's what they sound like yeah, now that's what they're all gonna how imagine. many skulls it's just us at the old folks home being like hey board games yeah I'm ready for my voice acting career. <laughs> but, um, yeah, understand that there's going to be different games. And you may always explain one slightly, slightly off. But, yeah, we're here for you. We're here for board games. We're excited to play games. The Royal We. I'm excited to play games. I mean, we play a fair bit nowadays. <laughs> and, uh, 
yeah, I feel like 2021 is the year of understanding rules. And if you can't play with a giant group still, then maybe, maybe working on your rule explaining is a thing to do. It's a skill and it can be developed. So don't be discouraged if your rule explaining isn't super good at the beginning. It can always grow. Was there anything that helped you that you watched that made your rule explaining better or any tips that you grabbed from certain um, websites or certain people? Uh, yeah, of course. There, of course, there's a lot of really great rules explanations. You can, of course, um, watch like how-to videos because there are people who basically professionally teach games. And of course, watching those for yourself and kind of copying them, picking up what they do and how they explain things will ultimately just be helpful for you. So yeah, I highly recommend if you are just starting to kind of teach games and it's not working great, checking online for various like, yeah, people and sites and how-to plays are super valuable. Hmm. And maybe I could be watching a few more. It's, it can always help to brush up. <laughs> no, no, you're doing great. But that is teaching games and rules explanations. And that's going to do it for our podcast. You know, don't give up, be patient, and practice and love board games <laughs> like we love you meeples All right. to meeples <laughs> oh, <God>. uh. <laughs> like subscribe share with a friend <laughs> yes that does help the podcast honestly word of mouth is probably the best way to help the podcast right now so if you have a friend or friends or many friends even who love board games feel free to share this podcast mm -hmm. and if you have any games that you think you'd like to share or think you would love for us to maybe cover. I mean, Mitchell to cover. <laughs> I may be playing it. Um, reach out to him on Instagram. You're Meeple Gamestack. I'm Meeple the Gamestack on Instagram. I am Meeple Gamestack on Twitter yeah. because you can't fit the in a in there. <laughs> um, and I'm Meeple in a Gamestack at gmail.com. If you want to let me know, yeah, any games that you want us to cover or even if you have tips for teaching and learning yeah. games that people should know. Because it was a really good suggestions. The Iron Iron Gauge was a really good suggestion. Irish Gauge was Irish a great Gauge, suggestion. Yeah, sorry. I was like, that got my art game group to type. Ooh, it was feisty. <laughs> it was good. So please suggest games, but thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, thank you to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. But as Caitlin was saying, as always, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't know why you would. Meeple in a game stack. This is the end song. <laughs>
I'm just going to pause. I need to shift my legs. They are dying a little bit. Oh my god, I can't feel them. I can't feel my legs. I don't know why you ah, chose fuck. the most cramped oh space god. to sit in. You're like Can I push this too for a big man in <laughs> tiny box. It's a new painting. Oh, I can't feel my feet. <laughs> You're fine. I've not sat cross-legged like this for any period of time. We need to do some stretching. Oh, oh playing all board games. Please, come along. Beep, beep. <laughs> this is your outro.